Well, we're so blessed to be together this morning in the presence of God and with one another in fellowship to honor the God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. I look out and see a number of visitors, and we're really glad that you can be with us in honoring the God of heaven today. The title of the lesson this morning is, When the Flock Moves as One, Collective Action in a Local Church. While the only collective action in a a local church is not merely taking the collection and using the collection, I'm going to start with that as an illustration of why this lesson is important. In the first century, in the early church, the first problems that arose, if you really think about it, the first problems that arose within the church had to do with taking a collection and distributing the collection. It was the collective work of the church in Jerusalem. You might remember in Acts chapter 4 at the end and then in Acts chapter 5, there were poor saints in Jerusalem. There were Christians in Jerusalem who had some wealth, houses and lands and different things. They took those things and they sold them and they brought the money and they laid the money at the apostles' feet. And distribution was given to any believer according to as how the people had need. So the first problem that arose was when Ananias and Sapphira decided that they were going to do that and give some money to the Lord and to His cause and to His work. But in the collection of that, they lied about what they gave. And it became a huge problem. And then in Acts chapter 6, the church was distributing to the needs of the widows out of the money that it was collecting. And so as a collective, it was helping needy widows. But there was some discrepancy between how the Jewish widows and the Grecian Jewish widows were being taken care of. And again, a problem arose in the early church over the distribution of the collection. Again, collective action of the church. I'll talk about that more in a minute. If we didn't have anything else in Scripture but those two examples, and we do have a lot more in Scripture, we would understand that how the church operates as a collective, just in that, in bringing in funds to do the Lord's work and in distributing funds to do the Lord's work, There are ways to do that and ways not to do that. And as the collective, the church, moves to do things with the collection, it's important to do them the way God wants it done. I grew up and was baptized in a church that did not understand the importance of that. The church that I was in when I was baptized, when I became a Christian, spent money in ways that were directed by human interests instead of divine interests. I want to tell you this morning that if we are to be a church of Christ, it must be true that our collective action as a church is directed by Christ. And if it's not, then we as a church are not a church of Christ. That's just axiomatic. It's as simple as it can be. The church of Christ is a collective of saints 
that respects the authority of Christ in Scripture. Each church is a flock, which is to be led by shepherds operating under the guidance of the chief shepherd. So I'm using terms here like the terms individual and collective. We can understand this when we think of a flock of sheep. A sheep is an individual, right? (laughs) But when a bunch of sheep get together, we call that a flock. And the flock moves together and does things together. The shepherd or the shepherds can lead the flocks to do certain things or not do certain things. The flock as a whole, the flock as a whole, needs to follow the direction of the shepherd. Besides the fact that every individual sheep (laughs) must also... So you have the the individual sheep, but you also have the flock. And so that's a good way to understand how the Bible discusses what goes on in a local church. We are individually members of a local church here at Eastside. We have individual responsibilities, and the Lord expects us to take care of those things. And then you have the flock as a whole, what we do as a collective. And one of the things I mentioned already was we we take a contribution and we use that contribution as a collective. When that money is used, distributed, or spent, that's coming from the collective of the church. We also, this morning, although each one of us is here worshiping individually, we are worshiping as a collective. We took the communion as a collective, as the body in this place. So there are individual responsibilities. And there are collective responsibilities. Today we're talking about the collective. The collective of a local church, as I just said, is to be led by local shepherds who are operating under the guidance of the chief shepherd. Please look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Where elders are told to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Two or three things to notice in this passage. First of all, the shepherds are to shepherd the flock that is among them. He's talking to elders. So shepherds shepherd the flock that is among them. That's a local church. That's the local flock, if you will, here at Eastside. They are the overseers of that flock. But they also have to answer to what's implied here, the chief shepherd. Because the chief shepherd is going to come and the underling shepherds, if you will, are going to have to give an account to him for how they dealt with and helped and shepherded the flock that was among them. Our elders here, our five elders here, have an awesome responsibility that they are answerable to the chief shepherd for. And that is the guidance of this flock as a whole. The movement of this flock as a whole. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul told the elders that he met there, they were from Ephesus, He says, to take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So when we talk about a collective, a collective is something that's derived from a number of persons that take action together. 
A sheep or a lamb, as I've already said, is an individual. Sheep or lambs refer to plurality of individuals. Christians, disciples, saints refer to a plurality of individuals. But when we call it a church, we're talking about the collective. When we call the sheep or the lambs a a flock, we're talking about the collective now. So in a local church, the pooling of resources and abilities creates collective action. Let's go back to the collection of funds that's taken up. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2 is one place we look to for authority for that. The Apostle Paul there said to the church at Corinth, on the first day of the week, let each one of you, notice now he's talking there to individual members, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So every individual is responsible to give so that when Paul got there, it would already be collected. There would not have to be any other collections. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden, he's talking about the action of the collective, the action of the church. That money that is then collected is going to be taken to Jerusalem to help needy saints. And he says, you're going to approve the person to take it by your letters of recommendation. And, he says, I will send to bear your gift, the gift of the collective. Not of the individuals now, but the gift of the collective. Everybody in that collective, everybody in the Corinthian church then, gets if you will, credit for that contribution that was sent to the Jerusalem saints. And so it is here at Eastside, to make a firm example of this, uh, we send funds as a collective, as the church at Eastside, to help needy saints in Zimbabwe who are hungry. We've sent lots and lots and lots to do that over the last several years. When that gets over there, the Christians understand this is from the church at Eastside. Sometimes you individually give me funds to take. When I distribute those funds over there from individuals, I tell them this is from an individual Christian at Eastside. And they understand the difference between something that comes from the church and something that comes from an individual Christian that's a member of this church. So the church operates as a collective. It's regarded as a collective. When Jesus addresses the seven churches of Asia, Revelation 2 and verse 1, for instance, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You, you, well, to use a, a, the name of a soft drink, you who, you know. You, who is he talking about? You, the church at Ephesus. We, the church at Eastside, are responsible to ferret out false teachers and people who claim to be teachers for the Lord but aren't. We have a collective responsibility to do that. 
The leadership in that falls upon our elders who have a special qualification to enable them to do that that's given in 1 Timothy 3. But in any case, the church at Ephesus, you see, is credited for that. But also, in verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Again, you who? You, the church at Ephesus, as a collective, had lost their connection to God, their first love. Same thing with the church in Thyatira. And you, you could go through actually all the seven churches and see this. Now we're going to get back to the seven churches at the end of this lesson, so pay attention to this, that Jesus is addressing them as collectives. He's talking about some individual responsibility, but also giving collective blame and collective praise to these churches. But to the church at Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. There's a woman there who was subverting the holiness of Christians. And you, the church at Thyatira, are responsible to do something about that. What the collective does or does not do in the assemblies is something that must be authorized by God. In fact, it's authored by God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, Paul, in trying to correct some things that were going on in the collective at Ephesus, at, at Corinth rather, where there were uh, just some things in worship that they were not doing as a whole, as a group, they were not doing correctly, was not for edification, was not for the praise and the glory of God, Paul, in addressing a number of those things, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says in verse 33, that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Please notice that phrase. As in all the churches. That is, in every collective of the saints, God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of something else. Something that leads to peace. Something that leads to harmony. Something that leads to unity and to His glory. God is the author of is the author of what goes on in the church. Local church there. The churches. He is the author of that. In every church. And notice the next verse, by the way. Let the women keep silent in the churches. I, I don't care what you think about what the Bible may say or not say about what women ought to be doing in their roles in the public assembly. I don't care what the world says ought to be done as far as female leadership in churches go. But I can tell you what the author said should happen and not happen in all the churches, all the collectives. And that is women are not to speak. And the way he's talking about it in that context to lead in speaking in the assemblies. That's just that simple. And the collective is responsible. The Scriptures, you know, furnish us to every good work. Thoroughly equip us 
to every good work. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should not even think beyond what is written. Paul tells these same Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, you may learn in us not, not to think beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what the Scriptures say. Because when you do that, when you do that, you have violated God's will for His churches. A church of Christ is a collective of saints that respects the authority of Christ. For the flock of God to move as one, it must understand how the chief shepherd communicates. I've I've watched shepherds with uh, flocks at times in my life, especially a few times when I was younger. And, of course, I've seen things on television, on nature shows and whatnot, as probably many of you have. It just amazes me how the, the shepherd can control the whole flock. Sometimes with just a whistle or a, a movement that he makes or something like that, and the flock will do what he wants it to do. That's how we at Eastside need to be as a flock in this place. Understand how the shepherd is communicating to us and respond immediately as a flock to his commands and statements that are given to us through his apostles and prophets. 2 Peter 3 and verse 2, we're told to be mindful of the words of the prophets and the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 and verse 37, Paul says, if anyone among you thinks himself to be a, spirit, a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul is writing the commandments of the Lord. Are we listening to the chief shepherd? Was Corinth listening to the chief shepherd? They needed to listen to the words of the apostles, the commands, to approved examples. Jesus communicates to us what He wants in the churches by showing us approved examples in His Word. Here's what a church did in the New Testament that he approved of, that the apostles approved of. We can do that. We should do that. Philippians 3 and verse 17. The apostle Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example. In Philippians 4 and verse 9, he says to them, The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Do what you saw the apostle doing. Watch what he did. Listen to what he said. Follow that example. And I want you to notice, if you're following along here, let's go together to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Listen to what Paul said to this church at Corinth, this collective group that had so many things it needed to straighten out. He says, I urge you, Imitate me. For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach in every church. Every collective has the responsibility to follow the examples of the apostles. Every church. Paul was teaching it in every church. Same things, what he was doing, what he was exemplifying. 
Every church has that responsibility. And then sometimes the Lord says things without saying them. And we call that a necessary implication or, or from our end point, a necessary conclusion. And again, we'll just stay in Corinthians since we're there to this example that I like. There are lots and lots and lots of examples of necessary implications. But 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 12 is, is uh, really pretty obvious. Paul is working to combat the divisions that were in the church. See, as a collective, we're not supposed to have divisions, people. You know that, right? <laughs> so as a collective, we're not to have divisions within us. And, and Paul is combating the divisions in the church at Corinth. And he says, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 12, Now I say this, that each one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, now you know what was just communicated there. You know that the chief shepherd, <laughs> using the apostle Paul, is telling the church at Corinth, you can't be divided over men. He doesn't say, you cannot call yourself after Paul. You cannot call yourself after Cephas. You cannot call yourself after Apollos. You can read that verse backwards and forwards every time you want to, and he will never say that specifically. But that's what he says. Right? He just asked some questions. Was Paul crucified for you? Well, if not, the conclusion you're supposed to make is if Paul wasn't crucified for you, why are you dividing up over these names? You see, you arrived at that conclusion without even thinking about it. That's a necessary conclusion. And we find these all through scriptures where something is said with the force of a command or a statement or example. But we understand it from the text. But it's just a necessary implication. Let me mention a couple of other things just real quickly. And these are all things we've talked about at length in many sermons before. If you've listened to me preach very long, this probably sounds really familiar to you. I hope it does. But when authority is expressed by the Lord or by anybody, it can be very specific or it can be very general. God told Noah to make the ark of gopher wood. So that excludes every other kind of wood because gopher wood is specified. What he didn't tell Noah was where to get the wood. I mean, he could get gopher wood, I guess, anywhere you could get gopher wood. I don't know if there was a lumber supply store or whatever he could do, or he could, you know, hire out the whoever's to do it or to bring it to him or whatever. But he didn't tell Noah where to get it. So that's general, isn't it? Noah is left up to, it's left up to him where to get it. It just has to be gopher wood. And so, it, it, when you look at authority, you have the things that are general, and if not, nothing specified, then, you know, the choice is left up to you to, as to how to do that. If it's specified, then you have to do it that way. It's the nature of communication. Disciples are told to go into all the world to preach. Not told how. Not, not told to go by foot, boat, airplane, chariot, whatever. So understanding the difference between those things is really important. Now, for the flock to move as one, 
It needs to understand how Christ expresses Himself to us, how He communicates to a local flock, but it also needs to understand that there's a difference between individual and collective action. An individual may do something on their own that they're allowed to do, but the flock may not be supposed to do that as a whole. You say, well, give me an example of that. What are you talking about? There is a difference between individual and collective action. There is a difference between what the individual is to do and what the church, the collective, is to do. There are a lot of people in the religious world who have no concern about this whatsoever. And so, a lot of people that I know, friends and brethren, relatives, will say that if an individual can spend money to eat a common meal, then the church can spend money to eat a common meal. No distinction between the church and the individual. That sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? Until you go to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 34, which shows us that a church can't do what an individual could do. The church is to come together to eat the Lord's Supper. But it's not to come together to eat a common meal. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 34, when Paul is dealing with that problem at Corinth, he says, if anyone is hungry, if anyone is hungry, that's one sheep, that's one individual, that's one Christian, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. The individual can eat at home and buy his or provide his common meal. But the church, when it comes together as a collective, is not eating a common meal. It's remembering our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by using these elements, the the bread and the fruit of the vine, which are specified, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 11. That's what it's doing. That's all it's doing. That and no more when it comes together to eat. But if we're going to turn it into a common meal, you do that at home because the individual responsibility is different. The individual allowance is different than the one that's given to the collective. Plain as day. And yet, we have churches that are, as works of the church, using even money from the treasury, from what was collected, just coming together to eat common meals. No respect for what the shepherd has said is to be done in the collective. And it's not to be done in the collective. No respect for it. If an individual, we're told, can spend money to engage in recreation, then the church can. So this is justification for nearby to us. We can just go down the road here and find churches with gymnasiums and dining halls and all sorts of things that the collective does not have a right to do or have. 
The claim that the church can do with its funds whatever an individual can do is flatly contradicted in passages like 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. Go over there in your Bibles. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. There, Paul is dealing with helping needy widows on a regular basis. Widows who he calls widows indeed, which meet certain qualifications, which he's given earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 5. But then in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16, listen to this. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. A believing man or a believing woman, that's a Christian as an individual. If they have widows in their family, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. You see a difference between what an individual is to do and what the church can do? The church is not to relieve widows when those widows have family members who are Christians who could take care of them. The church cannot do that, is not to do that. The collective is forbidden from doing that. Do you see that? It's a responsibility of the individual. And so clearly in these passages, in other ways, in other places we might look, there is this difference between individual and collective action. A church of Christ uses its collection to do what Christ authorized it to do. How I don't know how simple anything could be. I mean, this frustrates me so much. <laughs> Somebody says, what, what are we supposed to, you know, how are we supposed to, can we do this with the church's money? Can we do that with the church's money? Quite, the answer is, did, the, did Christ authorize the church to do that? If it's not a work of the collective, it's not something Christ told the collective to do, then no, it can't. It boggles the mind how something so simple can be so confused. The church can use and did use funds that were collected to support evangelists. How do we know that? It's described, it's it's talked about, it's commanded even. In Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, if you will, look at verse 15. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. As a church, they sent help to Paul. The collective sent help to Paul. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once again to my necessities. He says, I don't seek the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 8, he'll tell the Corinthians, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he describes how sometimes he would go without being supported by churches. He did at Corinth at times, even though he had the right to do that. In fact, it was the will of God. That churches support him. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, down in verse 14, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And that command is to be carried out by churches supporting preachers. Again, I'm not going to read that whole context, but that's the point of it. So, what can the collective do? It can support evangelists. Now, please notice. We have a pattern where evangelists like Paul were supported by churches and the churches just sent 
the support, the funds to the evangelist. No church ever sent in the New Testament, no church ever sent money to another church to send that money to an evangelist over here. That arrangement, which is called a sponsoring church arrangement, say where some church in North Alabama is receiving funds from a whole bunch of churches to support preachers in, let's say, South Africa. You say, well, surely that's not happening. A bunch of churches just sending money to another church to, to, to then decide which, which preachers get supported in South Africa. Who would make up something like that when you've got such a plain pattern of just a church sending to the evangelist that it's supporting? Who, who, well, lots of who's. That's who. That's going on all over North Alabama, all over the United States, and all over the world in places that call themselves churches of Christ who are ignoring Christ's direction about how to support preachers. You don't think that matters? You have a, you, you can decide that doesn't matter to you. A lot of people have decided that doesn't matter. But are we going to be a church of Christ or aren't we? As a collective, we're going to do things as Christ wants us to do or not. Not long ago, the Rogersville Church of Christ indicated that it was supporting the Sherrod Avenue Church of Christ to send funds to Scotland for preachers. It was supporting the Louisville Church of Christ in Louisville, Texas to send money to South Africa for preachers. And I could go on and on and on and on. Those are just two quick examples. It's going on all around us. Helping needy saints is something that's clearly to be done with the collection. Something certainly we do here at Eastside, as we've mentioned. That was the purpose for it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, I already read. But notice, concerning the collection for the saints, Paul says, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, so also do you. So many churches, many collectives are involved in helping needy saints. What did they do? They collected money together. They sent it to the saints. They didn't send it to some other church. They didn't send it to an institution. They sent it to the saints that needed the help. And that was taken care of by the elders or the leaders of the local churches. The churches in Macedonia gave to minister to the saints. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 4. In Romans chapter 15, Paul talks about how that there were those from Macedonia, churches apparently, who made a certain contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 4, the Christians that were helped in the church in Jerusalem were Christians. Among those that believed, anyone among them, distribution was given to them as anyone had need. Believers in the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 6, the disciples were multiplying. And it was among the disciples that the widows were being helped out of the contribution. The disciples in Acts chapter 11 and verse 29, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea. So over and over and over again, and those are just a few of the examples, I forget how many times, it's 10 or 13 different times, 
Anytime the church is helping a needy person, it is always a Christian or Christians. There is never a time in Scripture where a church is told to or there's an example of or any implication that the church as a collective sent funds to relieve the needs of anybody who was not a Christian. There's not one inkling of an indication. Every command, every example is churches helped saints. Every time. And yet, we have a church just down the road on their website They talk about the work that they're doing to help the needy. Here's what they describe. I quote, this is about work that's being done in Ghana, which is in Africa. I quote, Sunrise Village was founded in 2000 by Central Church of Christ in that West African nation of Ghana. Over the past two two decades, we have celebrated many new relationships in the Lord. The facilities in the village will include a self-sustaining farming operation, medical clinic, school, orphanage, church, and vocational training center, and everything we are dedicated to community development, education, and humanitarian assistance. Does that sound anything like what Christ said the church is supposed to do? I think the only thing that's like it is they're helping somebody. But the way in which those whom receive it, all of that has no biblical basis at all. Lastly, the collective of the church is authorized to edify itself particularly by assembling together. In Acts, uh, rather Hebrews 10 and verse 25, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, that text teaches us. Assembling requires a place to meet. That's uh, what we call a necessary implication. Okay. You have to assemble. That requires a place to assemble. Um requires a place to meet. In that meeting, in that assembly of the church, 1 Corinthians 14.26 directs, everything is to be done for edification. Let all be done for edification. All things be done for edification. As we go through the pages of the New Testament, we find churches assembling all over the biblical world, all over the places, you know, that gospel was taken where Christians were. We find Early on, Christians assembled outside the temple on Solomon's porch, Acts 2.46, Acts 5.12. We find in Acts 19 and verse 9, churches were assembling, a church was assembling in a school, the school of Tyrannus. Uh, in Acts 20, verses 7 and 8, in Troas, Paul and the church at Troas met in an upper room to take the Lord's Supper. There were many lights in that upper room. The entire church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23, the whole church came together in one place. We're not told what the place was, but they came together in one place. In Romans 16 and verse 5, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19, churches met in houses. 
So you have all of these different kinds of places. So what do we have? We have a general authority for the church to meet. We're not told specifically where or how to come about the place where we meet. We have all kinds of different examples. That's like going to preach the gospel, right? You have this command to go preach the gospel. We're not told how to go. We all agreed there, I think, we'd go by foot, by horseback, by chariot, by plane, by ship, whatever. So here we have meet, assemble. Every church has to do that. Where? And how do we get the where? Not told. What does that mean? We get to decide for ourselves. Where to meet. This is a where. Right? This is a where. We could meet someplace else. Churches in Africa, as many of you know, some meet under trees. Some meet under sheds. Some have buildings. Some meet in houses. The point of all that is this. That churches are generally authorized to meet, to assemble, and to edify themselves. Whether churches spent money to do that in the first century is not stated, but it doesn't have to be. Because we're told we can do it. And we're not told how. It's as simple as that. I appreciate your good attention this morning. This is not normally a lesson I would preach on a Sunday morning. But I think it's important. I think it's important to go over these facts and to get in our minds what the Lord expects of us as a group. Now, I haven't covered all the collective things we might do. For instance, I haven't talked about the fact that withdrawal, which Donnie Rader talked about, you know, week before last, is also a collective action. When, you assemble, when you're assembled together, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, that's when you are to withdraw yourselves. Right? It's a collective action of the church. Something the church does as a whole. So there are other things that we could talk about. I just want you to get this idea in your head. Christ has, Christ has directions for how the flock is to move. And when the flock moves, it needs to move by the direction of Jesus. The collective action of a church of Christ is determined by what Christ has authorized the collective church to do. If Jesus is Lord, He is not the Lord, just the Lord of each sheep. He is the Lord of every flock. Of every flock. The flock moves as one according to His direction and express desire. And so I say to you, as Jesus said to the seven churches of Asia, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven times, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to pay attention to what Jesus wants in the churches. There could be somebody here this morning that is not privileged to be a sheep of the shepherd because you've never committed to following him. This all starts with a personal choice to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to 
to make him Lord of your life, to confess his identity, to turn away from your sins, and to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins so that you might join and be a part of, be added to the body of Christ. If there's someone here this morning who's ready to make that decision, we'd ask you to come and we'll help you while we stand and while we sing.